What's up, Red Rocks? What's up, Red Rocks? How you doing? That is plenty for me. Would you do me a favor and put your hands together for Jesus in this place tonight? I've seen that video once before, and i got to be honest with you, if I wasn't already planted, I would be an intern at this church because I just feel like that's the kind of fun stuff I want to do in ministry. Guys, I'm so happy to be here tonight. I, I really do thank you guys for letting me be here. I see a lot of familiar faces, folks from CCU. Anybody from CCU here? It's been my honor to preach at CCU. It's always a daunting task um, preaching at, uh, at a university full of uh, Christians because um, I wasn't always a very good Christian, so sometimes I wonder if, if they can see through my holiness. Um, but I, I'm stoked to be here. It's a blessing. I, I have to tell you that if you don't already know, you have one of the most incredible pastors and pastoral teams I've ever seen. You can do a whole lot better for that. Would you put your hands together for Jesse and Doug and Connor and Charlotte and Whitney and Tevin? And... I've had the pleasure of meeting them several times. We came here, my family and I, and we came for the Red Conference. We brought a team here, and I just love the way they think about things and the way that they have a vision for this generation and the way that they love you and the way that they serve you. And so when, they, when she sent me, when Jesse sent me an email, she said, hey, I'm thinking. I said, yes. And she said, of having you come speak. I said, I said, yes, you can ask me to come do the toilets. I don't care. I believe in what you guys are doing. Um, I believe in what you guys are doing because it sounds so much like what we're doing. You guys are over here on the west side of town. Me and the lifted young adults are on the east side of town. I brought a group of my leaders here tonight. I'm so blessed and honored to lead you and stand beside you and grow with you. I love you. Um, we believe that this city is primed for Jesus to take over. I mean, I just believe that. Like 100,000 people moved to the city and lots of them came for weed. And when the weed runs out, Jesus is going to be standing tall. So if y'all would start a fire over here on the west side, we're going to start a fire over here on the east side. And I will meet you in the middle and watch Jesus be glorified. Can I have somebody say amen in this place today? If you can't already tell, I really love when a church makes noise. So I'm going to need you to make noise all night tonight. Because if you don't, I won't know if you can hear me because I can't actually see you. If it seems like I'm making eye contact with you, I'm not. It's really bright here and mostly just dark down here. So I'm just playing my best, uh, uh, what's that movie? With? Never mind. All right. So I, I'm excited to be here. I'm blessed to have um, my incredible wife, Chanel. Uh, she's here with me tonight. You know when you meet a couple and you can tell which one is the one that Jesus loves and then who's attached to him? Jesus loves her. He's crazy about her. He blesses me, and that's why he stuck me next to her, because he's like, I need you to get some more of this. So I, I just, I'm so thankful for you, and, and our two beautiful boys, Kalel and Kanan, are with us here tonight. Um, I, don't usually, I don't usually do ministry with my sons because... Frankly, I want my sons to love Jesus and not hate the church. So, I, and I mean that. I, I, I don't know if anybody was raised in the church, but when mom is still talking in the lobby and you're like, we gotta go, I'm starving. Anybody have a church mother? You were there for like, all day! You were there all day, and you're like, no, seriously, I'm an, like, I may be six, but I do realize I need to eat. This might be illegal somewhere. 
And I don't want my kids to live like that, so I just, I, I let them come to church. I mean, they know Jesus. They've both been saved. Canaan was baptized in a hot tub in, in, uh, in a Holiday Inn. Amen. He said, he said, I think I'm ready to get baptized. I said, let's go to the hot tub, Doc. So we, we just, you know, I'm, I, I'm excited. They, they love this place. The first time we came, they played basketball. So Canaan brought his basketball. You got to play a little bit. Thank you, Tevin, for helping him out. And, um, and you all ready to go? You ready to jump into church? Cool. Do you have your Bible? Oh, really? Do you have your Bible? Okay, good. If you have a Bible or you have a phone on you, I'm going to open some water. But I want you to, while, you're, while I'm doing this, will you go to Matthew chapter 8? Matthew 8, and I'm going to read right at verse 1. Matthew 8 and 1, and it says, When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. And a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand, and he touched the man. And he says, I am willing. Be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Um, I want you to lean over to your neighbor and say, I dare you to touch it. Now, I want you to lean over to your neighbor and say, I dare you to touch it. When they told me what y'all were going to do for this series, when, when Doug sent me some clips of the previous message, he said, it's all about a road trip. And I got to watch some of the messages, and, and, and Doug did this thing where he kind of did a walkthrough, like a history of the Bible. And I realized that Doug is much smarter than I am, so I wasn't going to do that. And then Connor did the destination. He talked about holiness, and I know my personal self, and I said, well, I certainly am not going to do holiness. So I prayed to God. I said, all right, God, they're going to do a series on road trips. What would you like me to talk about? And the only thing that kept coming up in my mind was how stupid I've been on road trips. Anybody else in the building? How many of you, he said, amen. How many of you have been on a road trip with with your siblings before? Okay. Let's just start there. Um, You ever go on a road trip with your siblings and then, and and your, and your, your parents are like, stay here. We'll be right back. And you know that pretty much since you're in the middle of nowhere, they're not going to ground you because they got to take you wherever you got to go. So you can pretty much do whatever you want, right? So most of the time when I was younger, if I ever went on a road trip and I was either with a sibling or a cousin or whatever, I just found that my behavior was absolutely atrocious on that road trip. I did whatever I wanted to do. And then it turns out I thought when I got older that would change, but that's not the truth. I went on a road trip, uh, a major road trip when I was in high school with some close friends, and, and for seven days we drove through the desert. And, and it turns out that I am the same as an adult on a road trip as I am when I'm seven on a road trip. I am mostly all about daring other people to do stupid stuff. Like, like we, were in a, we were in a Burger King, and this, um, we're sitting at a booth, me and three high school friends, and, uh, and, and um, there's an old lady that walks in. And I don't know if you've ever seen an old lady. Like, you know when they do... <laughs> Has anybody seen an old lady? <laughs> right room, right word, amen. I don't know if you've ever seen an old lady when they begin to dye their hair, and, they, and, then, and there's nobody... There's nobody, mm, how do I say this? There's nobody that provides a little checks and balances regarding their hair color. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, they, they dye their hair, and it should be gray, and I'm sure the box says silver, but somehow it's ended up a shade of blue. Have you ever seen this? 
We were in a Burger King, and me and three or four of my close friends, and, and we're sitting, this lady sits down, and I was like, oh, my God. I dare you to touch that lady's hair. My friend was like, you, okay. <laughs> Just went right up and touched the hair. And, and I remember thinking, like, that's rude. If that was my grandma, that'd be, that's not right. <laughs> it was awesome, though. He's like, ah, it touched me. Um, but it's just like in Nemo. You remember Finding Nemo when, when, the, when Nemo and his little school kids, they like separate from their class. You know where I'm going with this, right? And they're like, I'm going to touch the butt. <laughs> just like that. I find that when I'm on road trips, my behavior is horrible. Uh, I just took one a little while ago, and, and, um, and I ate some food that was nasty. Do, do you do this? And this is maybe just me and just my wife. But have you ever had something really gross in terms of food? Like you eat something, it's just, it's horrifying. And you're like, oh my God, try this. <laughs> you do that? Or like, she'll do it to me. She does it to me all the time. Oh my, this is horrible. Here, have this. And I'm like, no, okay. Oh! Like my mind is thinking, this doesn't make any sense. If you don't like it, I'm going to like it. But my body is like, well, if you dared me, it's cool, right? There's something about being dared. And I remember praying to God when he told me about all these times I'd been dared, and I thought, certainly, Lord, that's not the word you have for me to deliver. There must be something deeper. And he was like, no, it's all about being dared. And I was like, okay, I'm going to have to go find some verses for this. So I, I started to do some digging, and one of the things that I realized is that um, there's something that's so valuable about tactile experience. Touching that blue hair really provided us with an experience that we couldn't otherwise, I couldn't tell you what the blue hair really looked like until I had touched it. I'm not sure why that is what it is, but I just, we had to touch the blue hair, just like I had to try this nasty food, and then I knew that that was really nasty food. She could tell me, but I had to touch it, I had to taste it. There's something about tactile feeling that really makes things real, right? I can explain a book to you, you can read a book to you, you can have the most active imagination in the world, but there's something so wonderful about touching and feeling and tasting and being in the moment, amen? You ever go on a road trip, we, we, uh, me and my best friend went on a road trip and we decided to do 50 states in three months. We're going to do 48. I don't think you can drive all the way out to Hawaii, but we, we decided to do the contiguous. About two months into it, we realized like, this is ridiculous, we've been out of money for a month, we're just bumming this is stupid. I'm starving. You're starving. Let's go home. So we started to drive home, and we, we're beelining it from the East Coast, and we're driving through Kentucky. Now, I'd never been to Kentucky, and, and he was like, we're, we're, in, we're on Kentucky right now. We're on the highway, so we're in Kentucky. And I was like, nah, man, that doesn't count. Pull over. And we pulled over. And I just kind of stood in the, all right, let's go. That's good enough for me. Like, that was Kentucky, but I had to touch it because otherwise I'd never been in Kentucky, right? For me, it meant that I was real. You go to the four corners, you got to touch all four. When a soldier comes home from war, what does he do? He kisses the ground. You remember the first time you saw that on the news? You're like, ooh. <laughs> but you realize that there's something so precious about touch. My wife's love language, touch. That means that I'm good with words and I can speak all the wonderful words of love I can to her. I can spend every waking moment with her. I can clean the house from top to bottom. I can buy her gifts. She loves gifts. But if I don't touch her, it's not real. For her, touch is the manifestation of the love that we feel. 
So you'll hear, and, and you can ask our lifted leaders, you'll hear, she would be like, baby, touch me. Okay, all right. All right. <laughs> all right. But I'm always touching her because that's her love language. For her, that's what makes touch real. And that's what makes this story so interesting to me. I don't know if you've ever heard this story before. You've, you've seen or heard the stories and the ways that Jesus interacts with lepers. But I love the stories of the lepers. For me, the lepers are all of us. When I read the stories of the lepers, I see myself so plainly, so broken and dirty and diseased and outcast and alone. And Jesus' interaction with the leper is never like that. And I found that Jesus' interaction with me, and maybe you're in the same room tonight, you found that despite all of those factors, you found that Jesus' interaction with you was, it's not like the way other people interact with you. If you don't know, the, the, the Levitical laws around leprosy are found in Leviticus 13. It's, it's the way that we, the, the, the Jewish people govern themselves, specifically when it comes to this illness. And leprosy is skin disease. It causes the skin to be white and flaky and fall off. And it's, it was no cure at that time. And if you got it and somebody else got it, it, it ran like the plague and everybody got it. So in Leviticus 13, they set out the laws. And essentially what happens is if, a lep- if someone is thought to have leprosy, they must go to the, the priest and they report and the priest does an inspection. There's a whole litany of tests and understanding that he does so that he can confirm whether it is or is not leprosy. And if it is, he determines that that person now must live, now must live, now must live in isolation. They don't quarantine him for a certain period of time. They don't send them away. At this time, they had no physician. You couldn't go somewhere and then get better and come back. It meant forever and ever you're gone. A leprosy, a, a, a diagnosis of leprosy is essentially a diagnosis of death. It means you're no longer a part of us. You're something altogether different. And for me, when I was growing up, uh, I grew up in the church like most of us. I was saved when I was six. I got saved at a Billy Graham crusade. It was radical. I went to an evangelical free church. Uh, it was boring. Um, and I went to college, and I sinned. It was awesome. And then... Um, And then it caught up to me, and it sucked. And when I came back to church, I was isolated. Like, no one would talk to me. I had close friends. One of the pastor's sons was my friend. He went to Moody Bible School. If you know anything about that, that's like where the real Bible scholars go. He went to Moody Bible School. He came back. He he saw me in church. He said, "I, I heard how you, he literally said, I heard about you. And he left and walked away. And I felt like I had been completely isolated, shunned, set apart. And maybe you've lived a life that hasn't been perfect, and, and you've grown up in church, and other people have seen you stray away. And, and, and the church is so like this, where we turn at you and we look at you, and, and we make a decision on whether or not you're allowed to belong in the fellowship. For some reason, like the church gets to say where you go. And in this community, the leper is forced to be outcast, and and. If you've ever been alone for an extended period of time, you know how that changes your heart. Like if you ever, you ever found yourself in a period where everybody has walked away or at least everybody that you thought mattered and then there you are by yourself and it's, it's just you and it's been you for a little while and there's something so inherently wrong about being alone. Because when you're alone, you don't challenge yourself to be better. 
You'll accept certain behaviors from yourself that you wouldn't accept from other people. You'll accept certain attitudes from yourself that you know other people wouldn't accept. And, th- and, and when you find yourself in a place where you're alone, it's so easy to, to, to just get comfortable in dysfunction. Each one of us has had a period in our life where we've done, you've been hurt. Somebody betrayed you. They said they were always going to be there, and then they turned their back, and they changed their mind. And they said everything one way, and they did everything another way. And there you were all by yourself, and you did what we all do. And you said, you know what? I'm never doing that again. Am I the only one in the room? You said, I'm not loving like this anymore. I'm not extending myself like that anymore. I bend my back. I bend over backwards. I do everything for these people. I get no thanks. And when I need their help, where are they? I'm all alone. I'm doing this alone. You ever said that to yourself? I said, I don't need you people. I don't need any of this. I don't need church. I don't need family. I don't need those friends. I'm done. And you walk off and you're alone, all tough guy, self. I'm done. About halfway through, you're like, I don't really want to be done. Because most of the time, you know how we do it, right? When you tell somebody you're done, if you were really done, you would just leave, right? But when you like, when you're done, done, you, 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 you kind of done, you tell people like, that's it, I'm done. I'm really going to leave. No, seriously, I'm leaving. Okay, great, right? Because you don't want to be alone. Nobody really wants to be alone. But we get to a place, if you've ever been fed up, you're like, that's it, I'm done. And you're alone, and you live in this place of being alone, and it's devastating to be alone. The Bible calls us to be in fellowship. The Bible calls us to be in covenant. The Bible says that we are to walk together in agreement where the two or more are gathered, then he is in their midst. And I can only imagine what it was like for this leper at this time period. Why in the world is he doing this, and what has his life been like? You find in the Bible that when someone is diagnosed with leprosy, oftentimes the only people that they have around them are other lepers. Because when we're alone, or we're living wrong, we're living in sickness, we're living with the wrong kind of mindset, sometimes the most Sometimes the only people that we can find to fellowship with are people with the same broken minds and the same broken hearts. It says birds of a feather flock together, even those with broken wings. They'll just hook up together and be like, we're just going to flop around together for a little while, you and me. I don't care what anybody says. They look good to us, right? Y'all can fly if you want to. Flop, 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 flop. You look good, man. I look good. Sometimes you get tied up with somebody. You get, you, 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 oh, you, you put yourself in a situation where your behavior gets wrong, your, your attitude is wrong, and you find somebody, and their dysfunction fits your dysfunction. Better yet, their demon loves your demon. A spirit in them that hates everybody else, that spirit of bitterness, that spirit of loneliness, that spirit of depression, that spirit of low self-esteem, that spirit of anger, that spirit of sadness, whatever it is that's ruminating in them, see something inside of you and they link up together and the two of you become this sickness. And you find in the Bible that these, these lepers, sometimes the only friend they have is another leper. Luke 17, the story of the ten lepers. Ten lepers running together. Ten lepers running together. Can you imagine being Jew in this time and seeing ten lepers come over the hill? <laughs> You'd be like, <"Rah!"> <laughs> you want to run. And that's how it looks when ten crazy sinners come into good church together sometimes too, right? 
You see 10 bros walk in, they're just nuts. You see, like, I mean, let's be honest. I know not everybody's perfect. We all have open minds. But sometimes you see 10 dudes with all face tattoos, and you're like, praise the Lord, brother. I'm going to go find a greeter for you. There's a dude. You guys doing this. We want to love them, but you see 10 of them walk in, you're like, okay, Jesus. Be a fence. Because sometimes dysfunction links up with one another. I will tell you that um, there's a period in my life, and I, I have, um, I won't go into the whole thing. I'll just give you a little taste of my testimony. I'm, I'm 36 years old, and for 15 of those years, I was a drug addict. For the last six years, I was a meth addict. I did meth all day, every day. I spent $150 a day on meth. I weighed 140 pounds. I... Uh, I lost everything, house, car, wife, career, and these two boys. And I was homeless and I was jobless. And I lived alone for two years. And I got really good at being alone. I fell in love with being alone. I fell in love with being broken and being hurt. And I accepted my dysfunction. In fact, I thought that that's the way my life was supposed to be. I got comfortable being broken. It felt good to be wrong. Many of you found yourself in a situation where you know the way you're living, you know the way you think about yourself is not the way Jesus has called you to live, not the way that God has spoken about you, not the way you were created, and not the way the Holy Spirit has been following you away around this, this community to change you. You know it's not the way God wants it, and yet for some reason, it feels good. It feels okay. And I was completely broken. But I knew that God had called me to something different. And by the grace of God, I was rescued. I found an incredible church home. I had an absolute angel of a gift come down to heaven from me. I fought tooth and nail. Jesus said, if you're done, I'm done. Let's fix this. He pulled me out of the pits of hell. He rescued me. He put a call on my life, and he said, if you'll fight as hard as I fight, then we will not lose. And we fought, and, and these two boys are back. And I, and I... And we're not homeless. <laughs> Amen. And I got a great wife. I have an incredible wife who... who who loves me and watches out for me. And I don't tell you that to tell you how great my life is, but I tell you that, that there's no real situation, guaranteed, there's no situation that you've ever been through that can't be fixed by Jesus. The question is, are you fed up yet? Like, are you done suffering? Because the truth is, you'll hear it, you got to hit rock bottom first. I've been really low and been like, well, it never gets worse than this. Sure enough, I was like, no, it's going to get a little lower first. Hold on. Let me get, oh, let me, let me do it one more time. Let me. Sometimes our bottom is all the way at the bottom, and the question is not how low you go, but when will you be tired of suffering? Because when you're suffered enough, when you're done, that's when Jesus can take over. One of us is getting saved right here, tonight. When Jesus pulled me out, 
uh, of this situation, he put me in an environment that was very uncomfortable for me. I am, let me tell you a funny story, and, and, and I, I know my lifted leaders can back me up on this because um, they've experienced it. Um, I, uh, I'm good in a room with a bunch of people sitting down looking at me. I can do this. I don't know why. I just can. There's just something about it. I, this is my gift. And when you find your gift and your function and you operate in it, it doesn't feel like work. You just show up and you're prepared and Jesus takes over and you watch it and you're like, whoa, that's really cool, man. And you, you do an altar call and you're like, can I go to the altar? And he's like, no, you're doing the altar call. And you're like, cool, it's cool. I'm, I'm with you. But I found myself in a position where I could really thrive in one area. But you know what I'm not good at? One on one. They laugh. You hear them laugh. I'm really not good with one-on-one or, or like two-on-one. I don't, I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> or like, I don't know what to say back, right? Like, um, we're walking down the hall. Like, well, this, my wife will testify to this. I've got to typically, like, prepare myself. Like, all right, well, I'm going to see this person. They're, anybody, they're going to say good morning. And I'm going to be like, good morning. And then I, and they're like, how are you doing? And I'm like, morning, you are good. The other day, Sunday at church, one of our elders said, uh, he said, how you doing, brother? And I said, Sonois. <laughs> and he, he looked at me, and I looked at him, and I was like, I don't, I don't know what that was either. I don't, I'm sorry. I just, I don't get it. And each one of my leaders will have a story for you where I've come in for a weird Christian side hug and been like, ew, this is weird. I've poked people in the face before. I don't even know, like, I don't know how to do it. <laughs> It's because I've been alone, and be, when I was alone, I didn't meet or see anybody. Usually the only person I ever saw were people that you didn't want to see. And so being with people one-on-one is a really a challenge for me, and I really, really have to work hard. And I, I just, I'd imagine what it's like for this leper to see Jesus and see him surrounded by what the Bible calls multitudes. And it doesn't tell us how long he's been living as a leper, but, but even if it was just six months, He's been completely alone. And now for some reason, there's this man who's been walking through this community. And everywhere he goes, lives are changed. And every person that he touches is healed. And every word that he speaks doesn't fall to the ground. He speaks power and grace and life and mercy. They call him the great physician. He refers to himself as the son of man. But, but, but the dude who follows him says he's the Christ, the Messiah. And the leper stands there and says... My fix might be there, but it's surrounded by something I can't go through. A lot of times this is, um, this is that spirit of disqualification that each one of us puts on ourselves. You be in church one night and you hear the pastor speak. Jesse, get up here and say that God is for you and he's not against you. He causes you to be brave. They'll speak a blessing anointing over the room. A pastor will come in and he'll say, God wants you to prosper. And you sit in the back and you hear it and you know it's true, but for some reason it's not for you. Am I the only one in this room that's heard something and you thought, that's, that's incredible, it's not for me. That's, that one's not for me. I mean, I believe that God can bless people. I know he can bless their finances. I've seen him heal. I know that he can hook people up and make people fall in love and heal broken hearts and set the captives free. I've watched it. I know it can happen, but it's it's probably not for me. And 
and yet he pushes through. Because I guess there's, there's a time when you, you what's the worst that's going to happen? Like you sit in the back of the room and you've been thinking it's not for you, but what, what if it is? Like, is it worth the shot? And I love that he pushes through. It says the multitudes follow him. That's all it says. It says that Jesus came down from a mountain. We'll find out where in just a second. That the multitudes have followed him and that the leper pushes through. Now, I love this because we realize that in the chapter right before, Jesus has just delivered a message. And the multitudes have heard this. And no doubt that faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And Jesus, standing there with the multitudes around him, is surrounded by hearers filled with faith. And yet there's one doer in the crowd. There's a whole group of people who aren't sick and broken and diseased. And they're close to Jesus. But it doesn't say they're doing anything. They're just standing there. Some of us have been so comfortable with our relationship with Jesus that we'll come into the room and see breakthrough and be like, that's cool. Comfortable with the presence of God. Lackadaisical about what he could do. Thinking that somebody could be broken in this room and that there might be healing at this altar here tonight has caused for me to jump up and scream even if it's not for me. A whole, a whole, a whole valley full of hearers filled with faith and yet just one doer. And I imagine what this journey looks like. Sometimes the hardest part of any journey is the last leg. You know how, like, you can go on a road trip, you can go for a drive with your family, and, the f you know, when you go in somewhere, it's quick, right? You just drive, and you're just quick, and then and it's no big deal, right? And then you get there, you do your thing, you have lunch in the mountains, and a sweet little hike, and it's time to go home, and you're like, this is taking forever. <laughs> it's that last part, that last leg that's so difficult. You ever come home, and then you hit I-25, and there's traffic, and you're, like, 20 minutes from home? You're like, you must be kidding me. I'm going to get out and just walk. <laughs> I hate this. And here's this leper. And he can see Jesus through the crowd. And he's left with a choice. I can either stay like this, broken and alone. I can either stay right here, sick and isolated. Or I could say... To hell with what these people say about me. To hell with what they think about me. Forget everything that they're going to whisper behind my back and everything that they may say right to my face. And I don't even care if they spit at me or they push me down. And no doubt one of them is going to try to fight me or throw something at me to deter me because they don't want to be around me. Because I can see who I am. I know what I'm like and I'm broken and I'm sick and I'm nasty and no one wants to be around me. But there might be something in that man that's for me. And I've suffered enough. I'm going after it. And he comes right up to Jesus. Oh, I love this. He, he fights all that way. He fights all that way. And if you fought that way, he gets through that crowd. And no doubt, they cussed him out and they scoffed and they were terrified. They probably ran for him. Maybe they even ignored him. Because, you know, sometimes it sucks to have haters. But you know what sucks worse is when people don't even see you. And he pushes all this way and he gets right to the feet of Jesus. And he doesn't do what I thought he would do because if it was me and I got there and I would just scream out, Jesus, heal me right now. 
But that's not what he does. That's what I would have done. I would have tackled Jesus. I said, if touching the hem of your robe, I'm going to get all over your robe. I'm going to rip it off. I'm going to take it with me. If it takes anointing, you can anoint me. Good. We're good to go. Let's do it. Doesn't matter. I want Jesus and everything that he has for me. But the thing that separates this leper from the most of us, most of us who go through this situation, is the way and the words, the things that he does. He's so daring, and he's operating on a word that Jesus has just spoken. And this is why he changes everything for us in our faith, and I want you to see it. You have your Bible still? Go back one chapter to Matthew 7, verse 7. You remember? You remember that we saw that Jesus had come down from the mountain? The leper has just come and pushed through this crowd. And when he gets to Jesus, it's obvious that he's there to ask him for something. Amen? And he looks at Jesus right in the face. And he says something that's so different from what I would say. He says, if you will, then you can. He comes to ask him a question, but what he does is he's seeking God's will. He comes to ask him a question, but he's seeking what Jesus wants. And then he opens up and he says, if you will, then, then you, you can. And what he's saying is, is I'm, I'm opening my heart and I'm knocking on the door of your heart. Because what I really want is, obviously I want to be healed, but I, I just want what you want from me. He's operating on this word from Matthew 7 and 7 when Jesus is on this mountain and he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. He says, seek, and you will find. He tells him, he says, knock, and the door will be opened to you. And then right in 7 and 8, he says, and everybody who asks will receive. And everybody who seeks will find. And everybody who knocks, the door will be open. If you know the rule of repetition in the Bible, it means that whenever God says something twice, it's a promise. So when Jesus stands on the mountain and he says, if you ask me, you will get it. He's promising you that if you would just ask for it, it's yours. He says, if you will seek, you will find. It's not, it's not a whim. It's a promise. He says, if you will go after it, I guarantee, try me now in this. Go for it. You'll find it. And lastly, he says, if you'll just knock. Even if you're so tired, you don't want to ask with your own words. Even if you're so fatigued through that fight, through that crowd, through the expectations and the foolishness and the negative words of other people and what other people think of you and what they say, even if you finally get to me and you have no strength left, the only thing that you have to do is knock and I will let you in. It's a promise. It's a dare. And the leper, no doubt, when Jesus is on that mountain, he's sitting on a rock. Everybody, imagine this, Jesus on the mountain and everybody sitting there below him. And that leper, who's not supposed to be there, he should not be with this crowd. But that leper has heard about Jesus, so he's hiding behind a rock. And he's listening. And when Jesus says, ask, seek, knock, and then he says it again, that leper has finally been dared enough to go after something. You see, you'll be bold when somebody dares you to do something crazy, but then you'll come to church and they'll say, Jesus, 
can break every chain. And you'll be like, eh, probably not my debt. Somebody tell you to do something stupid and you just be brave enough to do it. I dare you to jump in that pool naked. No, okay, cool. But you be in here and Jesse will tell you, he came to heal your heart. And you said, not my heart. Why are we so bold when promises and dares come from men, but when Jesus tells you you can do it, you hold back? Jesus is daring you. He is daring you to go after something great. He is daring you to ask him for something crazy. Jesus is daring you to knock on his heart and say, what do you want from me? What would you have for me? Some of you are in this room tonight. You've, you've, uh, this whole night, God's been talking to you about something. Some of you here in, in this room tonight, you, you've done this thing of isolation. Either you've been shunned or brokenhearted or somebody's turned their back on you and you felt like you've been alone. You've been in this room full of 700 people and yet tonight even you felt alone. You came with somebody and you felt alone. You held hands with somebody, you prayed, you felt alone. I came here tonight to tell you that tonight it ends. You don't have to be alone. You don't have to walk out of this place alone. You don't have to walk out of this place isolated either. Or maybe you came in this room and you, you came with friends. You feel good. You're in a community. You know you're not alone. Jesus lives inside of you. But you've done this thing that we all do at some point. You've self-disqualified. You've said, yes, all of those things are true, but I, it's probably not for me. Maybe not for me. We do it all the time. I, I've struggled with this faith question all the time. Like maybe this, maybe just, maybe he doesn't want to bless me all the way. When I first got these boys back, I told God, I said, if it's just me and them, that's good enough for me. And I meant it. Oh, I meant it. I said, God, I can't believe that you've given me these boys back. And just to be their father is the most, most wonderful thing in my whole life. And, if, and if, the only, if it just stops here, if my blessings end here, when it's just me and them, and I don't have a very good job, and, and we still live in my parents' basement, but I get to be their dad, if it's just this, if I'm just your dad, then that's it. That's all that matters to me. And Jesus said, why are you asking me for something so small? Don't you understand that I want to bless you to the fullness of everything that I have over and above, abundant, exceeding, blow your mind crazy. And you're sitting in this room and you've been asking God for this much. You've been asking God for just enough. And he says, stop asking me for small things. I'm a big God. And every dream that you have, I can do it. I want you to dream bigger tonight. If you disqualified yourself when you walked in this room, tonight Jesus is going to requalify you. Or maybe you walked in and, and you found somebody. You good. You know God's got your back. You know the doors can be open. But you just felt like people have been turning on you. People have been speaking negative on you. There's been something said about you that just doesn't reflect. Tonight, we're going to change that. We're going to ask that God gives you the spirit of, I don't care no more. 
So I'm going to do something tonight because I believe that God has called me to do something tonight. I meant it when I said that we we're going to start a fire on, on, on the east side of the city, and I, I want you to start a fire here on the west side of the city. And, and in two years' time, when we meet in the center and we take the whole place for Jesus, I want to see your face. I want to see you. I want to see you push right through that crowd and say, I'm qualified. I'm not alone. I don't care what nobody says about me. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I know you're here with friends and I know you know somebody and I know tonight maybe you've served in this, this fellowship, but tonight if God has been whispering to you to change this situation, to no longer isolate, I want you to let down your guard and open up. And if you have suffered enough in this circumstance, then I want you to make the declaration that you're done with it. And we're gonna pray. And I'm gonna ask you to point to God. I'm gonna ask you to reach out and try to touch his heart. And if you're ready to ask him what he'll have for you, then tonight we're gonna see what he does in our hearts and in our minds. So Father, right now we stand in agreement. God, I thank you. God, I thank you that we've been through this situation. I know it sounds crazy, God, but sometimes when we look back on where you've brought us through, it's always those difficult times when we've seen the most growth. And I thank you, God, that each one of us here is left at a precipice where we've said, I am no longer living like this anymore. I thank you, God, that your grace is sufficient. And I thank you, God, that you're, kind of, that you're the kind of God who's so bold that you won't let me live small, you won't let me live broken, you won't let me live sick. So God, tonight as we stand here, we're here in this room right now, I'm asking that your grace and your presence fall in here. That every word that you've been whispering about the change that you want to take place in our heart, God, speak now. Make it plain. You want us to live in fellowship? Call us out of that isolation. We've been disqualifying ourselves. Push us and tell us it's us. We're here to answer the call. If tonight is the night that you're declaring that you're done and you're going for it, if you're asking God for something different, I want you to slip up your hand. I see them all over the room. Would you do me a favor? Would you be so bold to join me down here tonight? Would you come down here to the altar tonight and answer this call? Would you push through? I see your hands, and I know that the enemy is telling you not to do it. I know he is. I know that right now you answered a call, and Jesus, Jesus is whispering to you. He's saying, change this situation. I'm ready if you're ready. If tonight is that night, I want to invite you down here with me. We're going to pray this thing right out of your life. It says, when the leper finally got to Jesus, he looked him dead in the face and he said, if you, if you will, if it's what you want, if it's your desire, then you can. He says to him, he says, I, I let you have full authority and complete control in this situation. What I want is to be made whole, Jesus, but what I want more than that is what you want. 
So tonight, with every one of us down here at the altar, and if you're sitting out there right now, I wish you would extend your hands and pray with us for this group right now like it was your breakthrough, like it was the first time Jesus called your name. Father, right now, we know that you can change every circumstance, and we know that, yes, it is your will that we be changed. God, I know that all of the promises that you give us are yes and amen. So we come to this altar broken and hurting and alone. And we're asking, God, what we want is to be transformed by your touch. But what we want more than anything, God, is what you want. So have your way in this place tonight. God, we lay down every barrier, every wall we've built up. We let you do what you want us to do. Have your way in our bodies, in our minds. Perfect us and change us, God. The Bible tells us in Matthew 8 and 3, Jesus reached out and he touched the untouchable. And immediately, he was made clean. God, some of us have been in this room and we felt like there's been no way for us to make this breakthrough. And right now, God, you're touching us. God, touch my heart, touch my mind, touch my body, fix it right now. In the name of Jesus, I'm declaring healing right now at this altar. I'm declaring power right now at this altar. I'm declaring deliverance right now at this altar. I'm declaring that every broken heart and every depression, every spirit of anxiety has got to go from this place right now. We are declaring that every need is met and every bondage is broken in the name of Jesus. I declare that this altar is now a place of victory. And every time that you come up here, we know that lives were changed and shackles were broken because of the power of Jesus Christ that is in this room and is made manifest when we say, God, just touch us. We know that you can do it and we seal it in the name that is above every name, the matchless name of Jesus the Christ. God, I speak life into this room, power into this altar. In Jesus' name, amen.